athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. Thank you for joining me on another edition of the program. we got a whole lot to get to today. We're going to talk some college football. As a matter of fact, expansion. We're going to talk some expansion. We'll talk some ACC. What is the ACC going to do now that the Big Ten is expanded now uh, that the Big, uh, the Southeast Conference also is expanding with the additions of Texas and Oklahoma. What came out of the ACC media day? We're going to talk with News and Observer, the News and Observer of Raleigh columnist Luke DeCock. Luke DeCock going to join us on the program. I, I really want to get his feel on where the ACC sits and then also does he think, even though Greg Lansky, the commissioner of the Southeastern Conference of the SEC, came out and at, at SEC Media Days and said that um, the SEC is in no rush to really get any more teams currently. Is that is that the case? And is it a possibility that a school from the uh, ACC could be a candidate? For the SEC, perhaps Clemson, uh, perhaps a a Miami. Uh, you know, you you definitely. I mean, you're, you're going to want to have a football school. There's no question about that. Um, you know, I, I don't think you would see, and I don't know this, but I mean, I don't think you'd see, a, and I don't know, but I don't think you'd see a Carolina uh, leave uh, per se. I, but I don't know that. Like, I'm not sure about that. So that's why we're going to talk with Luke DeCott of the News and Observer on the program. It got me to thinking, and, I, you know, you talk about the landscape of, of college athletics, and really it's interesting because uh, the commissioner has taken, the commissioner, um, Commissioner Phillips of the ACC, has sort of taken a stance of um, that, that the ACC wants to get back to the purity uh, of college football, making it about, uh, the student athletes, which is definitely uh, di goes directly against what the and now, of course, uh, uh, he meaning Commissioner Phillips was not the commissioner of the ACC at the time. But remember when the ACC uh, really went out and purged uh, the Big East, uh, uh, purged quite a few teams from the Big East that first go around. Most notably, you look at Miami, Virginia Tech, um, Boston College. Uh, to try to make the to try to upgrade the football in the ACC, which isn't very good, particularly when you look at it uh, and you compare it against the other, really the other four conferences, at least as, as they stand uh, right now. 
And uh, so it's interesting. The, the ACC started this in terms of college football or college expansion or, you know, expansion. And now uh, the ACC, I think the ACC from everything I've read is in a solid position uh, from a, a, a situation with its institutions because till about 2036, because there's a big penalty. There's a huge penalty if the ACC or if a school decided to leave uh, the ACC. So there's a whole lot to talk about there. But when you look at, and I look at Maryland and Rutgers going back a couple of years ago and the decision to ultimately go uh, leave the AC, or well, at least uh, uh, certainly when you look at Maryland to leave the ACC to go to the Big Ten, Rutgers left the Big East to go to the Big Ten. Was there some forethought there? Did officials at Maryland see this coming? Because if you remember, Maryland caught a lot of flack behind this. And I grew up as a as a Maryland fan. I rooted for the basketball team, for the football team. I'm from uh, the DMV, so I rooted for Maryland heavily. And Maryland was not very good at football. The basketball was a different story. Very good. But, of course, after the Lynn Bias uh, death, it really went through some troubling times and then ultimately uh, ascended back to the top of college basketball, winning the national championship in 2002. But maybe Maryland Rutgers foresaw this coming, decided. And remember, the exit fee at that time, I don't know what it was for Rutgers, but the exit fee at that time for the University of Maryland was like $50 million to leave the ACC to join the Big East, which, you know, we're talking about, I don't know, what, what has it been like, five, six, seven years ago now? I mean, that's not, I mean, it's not chump change. Uh, don't get me wrong, but I mean, if you, the University of Maryland, I mean, that, 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 you, you, you can, you can, you know, that, that's, you can make that happen, uh, right? I, I, I believe I read or heard where the exit fee for an ACC team would be like $120 million at this point. That is different, even though we're talking about five, six, seven years ago. I mean, that's, that's a significant amount of, Money. I mean, if you're a Clemson, like the most one of the most likely candidates, I think, you know, one of the most likely candidates would be a foot, a, a an institution that, you know, has a tradition and has played football. Well, we know Clemson has won a couple of national championships here in the last five or six years or so a, a down year. I think what Clemson won nine or ten games last year, we call that a down year. So. I look at that, you know, would it be a Miami? A Miami traditionally has been good in football. And by the way, Miami has not been good in football on a consistent basis since it joined the ACC. It's that a team uh, a program. And, but I will say that the basketball was elevated uh, with Miami. The basketball was elevated, you know, with, um, with, with again, with a Miami uh, 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 leaving, of course, the Big East to come to the ACC. The basketball definitely ha has gone up. Uh, but what school would uh, make a move from the ACC to the Big East, if any? And we'll talk with Luke DeCock uh, more about that today here on the program. In the National Football League, Kyler Murray, we talked a lot last week about Lamar Jackson and what Lamar Jackson should possibly get in terms of uh, the monies from the Baltimore Ravens. Well, Kyler Murray agrees to a $230.5 million 
contract or deal over five years with the Cardinals. Okay? A lot of money for Kyler Murray. All right? No, $160 million are guaranteed. $105 million fully guaranteed upon signing the deal. Okay? So, I mean, he got paid. The average salary is $46.1 million. So it makes him the second, I think the second highest paid quarterback in terms of salary per year in the National Football League, only behind Aaron Rodgers. So while you look at the you look at the bag that Patrick Mahomes got, like $450 million. Um, yeah, I think it was over 10 years, $45 million. Well, on the average. You're talking about Kyler Murray making $46 million. And I don't know all of the incentives that he would have to hit to get the entire uh, $230.5 million. But you got to know that Lamar Jackson's got to get paid more than that. I mean, I, I don't know if you, and again, we talked about this last week. I mean, if it's the, I mean, is, 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 is uh, Jackson, Lamar Jackson looking for a, uh, you know, a higher per average? I mean, obviously you're going to be looking in terms of the over, you're going to be looking at the, the guaranteed money, that's what you're going to be looking at in terms of, uh, well, you're going to look at the overall contract, right? So if he's getting $230.5 million, I mean, you got to, I, I don't think you can even start, you can't even start having a conversation if you're not talking about 250 for Lamar Jackson and like 47, 48 million a year with something like 120 million. I mean, that's just, I'm just throwing that out there, but that would be my numbers. It would have, in other words, what I'm saying is it would have to be Lamar Jackson's contract would have to be bigger uh, than Kyler Murray's contract. And so that's really interesting uh, where we are. And I think it, it, it factors big. I mean, I don't think Lamar Jackson's going to get, you know, he's not going to get Aaron Rodgers' money. Um, I, I don't think he'll get Patrick Mahomes' money. I mean, I think, you know, I mean, if you look at it, I mean, he's definitely got to be paid higher ultimately than what uh, Kyler Murray is making. Uh, with that being said, I mean, he's got to get paid, I, you know, probably more than Josh Allen uh, is getting paid also. So uh, the Kyler Murray signing, things get really interesting now for Lamar Jackson. I think we have more of a baseline because we hadn't really heard what Lamar Jackson wants, uh, but we get more of a baseline now, uh, I think, with the the Kyler Murray signing. Also, you know, we haven't talked about WNBA star Brittany Griner, who is being held in Russia. As a matter of fact, uh, she pleaded guilty uh, to bringing uh hashish oil into Russia okay so I, I think the strategy there was to say okay plead guilty and maybe they would lessen the sentence when I first heard about this I don't know what going back like five months ago and I mean you you know you're in we're in a it's a political situation knew that from the jump uh you know if you're the United States and the allies I mean you've uh you know you've got the the uh, Russia's war on Ukraine you've suffocated uh, Russia with a lot of sanctions that that's a political move you don't expect that the Russians are going to be lenient on Brittany Griner so man I, I tell you what hopefully and she's had some 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 Russian citizens come forth and testify on her behalf boy we'll see ultimately what happens but uh man I I, I tell you what I feel 
for Brittany Griner and her family. Again, thank you for joining me on another edition of the program. I am your host, Donald Ware. Still to come, Luke Dacott, columnist with the News and Observer in Raleigh, going to join us, going to get his thoughts on his takeaways from ACC Media Days. Also still to come, SWAC had its Media Day on Thursday in Birmingham and the HBCU coaches poll was released on Tuesday. They've got some thoughts on that. I'll tell you who's number one and also give you my top 10. And up next, Dodgers outfielder Mookie Betts wore a shirt at All-Star Game that says we need more black people in the stadium. How is MLB marketing the game to the black community? I'll discuss next. The old renaissance is the new renaissance. Standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company. Uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way. Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whip Beer. The neighborhood original. Sponsored by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. Served in total wine all over North Carolina. Fresh Market in North Carolina and Virginia. Weaver Street Market in Raleigh, Durham, Carborough, and Hillsborough. You can also purchase in Durham at Zwelly's, Saltbox, Sam's Bottle Shop, and Bull McCabe's. And in Greensboro at Elm Street Lounge and Cooper's Ale House. Come on. You watch the news, be prepared to pay more taxes. Then if you owe back taxes or haven't filed in a few years, get ready. The IRS, the largest collection agency in the world, will be coming after you. With the power to collect taxes by any means they want to. Hey, they can freeze your bank account, your passport, even padlock your business. (laughs) Good times. Look, if the IRS claims you owe them $5,000 or more in back taxes and they're coming after you, don't panic. Call my friends at Get a Tax Lawyer first. Their job is to negotiate with the IRS and save you money. They're experts at it. That's all they do. And you can trust them. In some cases, they have reduced a $50,000 tax bill to less than $1,000. If you owe the IRS $5,000 or more in back taxes, call now for a free consultation. 800-450-1452. 800-450-1452. 800-450-1452. That's 800-450-1452. You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. From the Press Box to Press Row. Box to Box to Box to Box to Let's switch gears and talk some Major League Baseball right here, right now on the program. Look at Major League Baseball coming off a good, good. Solid to good all-star game, right? Solid to good all-star game uh, in L.A., back in L.A. First time, I think it was in like 40 years or something like that. So you're talking about a solid uh, MLB all-star game. Um, You know, we've talked in this program. We don't talk a lot of – unfortunately, we don't talk a lot of baseball here on the program. I'm a huge baseball guy, like a huge baseball guy. It's one of my favorite sports. Love to teach it. Really enjoy playing it when I was a youth. We don't talk a lot of baseball here 
uh, on the program for a number of different reasons. One of those being that Major League Baseball and its clubs don't really provide uh, for the for an opportunity uh, to be able to talk with some of its athletes. And so, therefore, I mean, it's it's hard to talk uh, MLB. You know, our, our show, as you know, over the years, I mean, we can talk anything and about any subject matter. That's not the point. But what we like to do here is uh, bring you uh, closer to uh, the respective players in the various sports. And every other sport does it. You talk about the National Football League. We talk with players' coaches. You talk about uh, the NBA players' coaches. Um, You even talk about NASCAR. And we talk with drivers and have talked with some of the preeminent drivers here uh, over the last five to ten years uh, in NASCAR, but Major League Baseball, uh, not so much. So that's one of uh, the reasons. I mentioned a good All-Star game. And uh, when you look at black players in Major League Baseball, the number is still low. Uh, but I think you're seeing a lot of stars uh, that are that are really coming to the forefront. You look at a, you know, you certainly look at a Mookie Betts uh, for example, you look uh, with the Dodgers, uh, you look at a Byron Buxton who was playing uh, with Minnesota. So, you look, you know, you look at an Aaron Judge uh, with the Yankees. I mean, you, you're looking at some place, Tim Anderson with Chicago. So you're looking at, you know, you've got some good young talent, good young black talent in Major League Baseball. And it's interesting with respect to the all-star game where the Dodgers outfielder Mookie Betts wore a shirt, a t-shirt specifically that said, we need more black players at the stadium. And I thought that was interesting and and interesting of Mookie Betts to wear that shirt. I mean, you can, you can look at, I mean, you can look at that shirt and, Look at its meaning from any number of of, of, of of different angles. And this is the angle that I'm going to look at it from. I'm going to look at it and take it literally for what the shirt says. Now, I mentioned some of the, the players in Major League Baseball, black players. You're still at around a 4% level of actually, you know, black American players that are playing in Major League Baseball. But when you go back, I mean, think about it. I mean, we have all, as black folks, we've always played baseball and always been good at baseball. We were really great at baseball when Major League Baseball did not allow for us to play baseball. When you're going back to the days of the Negro Leagues, the Josh Gibsons, you know, the Satchel Pages, the Cool Papa Bells, the list go on and on. You know, uh, uh, Satchel Page eventually got an opportunity to play Major League Baseball, but it was well beyond um, his prime. So, you know, you, you look at that, and uh, we've always been good, always had an interest in baseball. And that was obvious when you talk about Jackie Robinson going back to 1947, the first black player in the modern day uh, of major leagues, and then 
after that, I mean, subsequent players, Larry Dolby, uh, of course, who's a Hall of Famer, played his collegiate ball at uh, at HBCU, uh, Virginia Union, to Roy Campanella. Uh, I mean, some of the great players, you know, Bob Gibson as a pitcher. And, I mean, the, the list goes on and on. Lou Brock. I mean, you could go Ozzie Smith. You can go on and on in terms of some of the great black players to play. But the numbers have continued to dwindle in two aspects. One, the number of players, and two, the number uh, of uh, the, the interest that the black community has in Major League Baseball. I think part of that, part of the reason you don't see um, the great interest in terms of like at a stadium uh, or the great interest in terms of the black community watching Major League Baseball because the black community doesn't see itself in Major League Baseball as it once did. And I'm going to put the blame, a part of the blame, squarely on Major League Baseball. The problem with Major League Baseball, and I've said this on this program uh, before, and I, I look at what Major League Baseball does. In. Major League Baseball every year on April the 15th celebrates Jackie Robinson Day. And the part of the problem to me with Major League Baseball is it always wants to celebrate what it's done and its past. It wants to talk about how it was part of the civil rights movement, which it was not. I mean, listen, Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier was phenomenal, right? But I don't look at that as part of the civil rights movement as we know the civil rights movement. I look at an incident like Emmett Till, I look at that as part of the beginning of what we know as the modern civil rights movement. You can look at any number of different things. I mean, there was a march on Washington in 1957. You can look at Brown and Board of Brown versus Board of Education in 1954. I mean, you you can look at any number of things. I mean, you can look at you know Pullman Porter's strikes and so forth, even before. You know, even before Jackie Robinson as part of the civil rights movement, I I don't like it when Major League Baseball touts itself. But to me, we talk a lot about Jackie Robinson and about the past in terms of black players. The problem is Major League Baseball is not promoting its current players, black players, to the black community. And I think that is an abs- that is a huge problem. In the black community, we want to see ourselves. We see ourselves in the National Football League. We see ourselves in basketball. And, you know, basketball and the NBA specifically has always, I mean, there's been racism throughout the course of history. We know this. Uh, the NBA's record is is very good now uh, when you talk about uh, coaches. It's And it's been good probably since... Bill Russell became the first black head coach uh, for the Celtics in the in the late 60s. Um, you know, it's probably been pretty good since then uh, in terms of black coaches being hired in the NBA. But it took us a while to get to that point. The National Football League, not so much in terms and, and, and by the way, in the NBA, even in front office positions um, as well. We start. It, it's better it, and it's solid. It, it's not great, but it's solid. National Football League, we know the National Football League has a lot of work to do. But obviously the players, it's a 70% of the league is black. So you have the players uh, there, right? And, I mean, the NHL is a little bit different because 
you know, you look at Willie O'Ree, the first black player in the National Hockey League. Um, but I mean, historically, it's, it hasn't been necessarily, necessarily, I'm not saying wholly, but it hasn't been necessarily a sport that the black community has participated in. Major League Baseball, is, baseball generally speaking, and then specifically, Major League Baseball is a sport that the black community has participated in. You don't see Major League Baseball spending money. I mean, it's interesting. I look at, I look at across all sports. I even look at soccer. I mean, you look at all, you know, you go to these venues, you, you know, you hear the music a lot. Most of the music you hear is hip-hop, rap music, right? That's you know, because it's upbeat, it's fresh, so on and so forth, right? And I and I look at that, and I look across the board, and you know, you see the commercials, uh, and 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 specifically with respect to Major League Baseball, you know, you got the hip hop going, the upbeat tempo going, and all of that kind of stuff. But I want to know when Major League Baseball is going to market itself to the black community, meaning spend dollars on black mediums. Black-owned mediums, more specifically, and then, of course, mediums that may not be black-owned but cater to the black community. There's plenty of those mediums uh, out here that you have that are black-owned mediums that are that are uh, excuse me, not black-owned mediums, but that cater uh, to the black community and black-owned mediums. When is Major League Baseball going to start spending dollars in the black community to promote its game? You know, it's not like. You know, and, and the other thing is you can spend dollars and you can also get the players on board. You have the players that I mentioned that are young black players that you can market to the specifically to the black community. Look, you know, look at a guy like a Kyler Murray, right? Like you look at a guy like a Kyler Murray came out of, you know, came out of Oklahoma. Remember, had his opportunity to play football or baseball was as good a well, I think if I remember correctly, may have been a better baseball player at the at, in college, uh, or at least a better better prospect than a football player because he was a shorter guy, um, that type of thing. And 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 we know maybe not now when Kyler Murray came out. We're talking about what five, six years, four or five, six years ago. Now, you know the the salaries in the NFL have come up, especially the guaranteed money. But at that time, you know. The, the money has always been there in baseball, and there's no salary cap. That's the other thing in baseball. And contracts are fully guaranteed, unlike the National Football League. It, it, it would have been a harder road for him to make, to get to the major leagues, but he would have, you know, he would have definitely made, I think he, he had to, you know, he got drafted. I think he had like a $9 million contract or something like that in Major League Baseball. He ultimately chose to play in the NFL where he's going to get paid. But I'm saying if you look at the projection and the amount of money, let's say the Kyler Murray in the National Football League equated to the, the to Major League Baseball, had he gone that route, he'd have made more money in Major League Baseball. He went the National Football League uh, route. Listen. Major League Baseball needs to do a better job of marketing it itself to uh, the black community so that you don't have a situation where a, um, a Mookie Betts is wearing a shirt that says we need more black people at the stadium. You're going to have black people at the stadium uh, cheering on the players. And it's it's a great sport. And of course, we also need more black players in the major leagues 
as we did have back in the day. Your thoughts, hit me up via Twitter at BoxToRow, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W. Up next, we're talking college football with Luke DeCott, columnist of the News and Observer in Raleigh. You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. That is the voice of Steph Curry. Your progress from Davidson to now with Golden State. Where I've come from in high school into a small D1 college at Davidson. Uh, it's a great story and uh, I'm just having fun you know, living my dream and riding the ride. That, of course, the voice of Bianca Belair. EST is in the building. That's what Sasha Banks and I are going to do. We're going to uh, WrestleMania. We're going to create history. We're going to be the first two black females to have a title match at WrestleMania. I always say representation is it's not a request. It's a requirement, and I'm going to, to try to become SmackDown Miss Champion. But it's more than just creating a moment and becoming a champion. Just by us standing in the ring, we are representation for women and for Black women. And so that's an amazing feeling to be able to be that, be that person and be on that platform and the greatest of them all, and and be able to create history. It's just it's an honor. That is the voice of Kevin Durant. I'm excited I get to play for them. They support us in everything we do. You know, it's a joy to, you know, go to work and, and know that you're going to be, uh, you know, they're going to cheer for you as loud as they can, no matter who you're playing. I'm talking about none other than Serena Williams. That was definitely one of the better matches I've ever played. I've had it just like that. You know, it's really focused. It's really, you know, excited. Rob Manfred is the commissioner of Major League Baseball. Players that have been accused in their career of using performance-enhancing drugs should they be in the Baseball Hall of Fame? I'm going to focus on one word in your question, okay? Accused. Players who have tested positive or there's otherwise been real solid proof that they were involved with performance-enhancing drugs, I think that Hall of Fame writers are entitled to make their own judgment about those players as to whether they think that performance-enhancing drugs or their use of performance-enhancing drugs should prevent them from being in the Hall of Fame. You cannot determine who used performance-enhancing drugs by the way a player looks. It's simply not possible. The one and only Michael Strahan. Always good to talk to you. Hopefully next time it won't be, what, 14 years you get to it. <laughs> Man, you know what it's good? And, and, and uh, you're encouraging people to be better and do better. And, and that's what I love, man. So thank you. I appreciate you. I'm talking about none other than Common. Well, I ended up in Sam just because I wanted to major in business. And Sam, you had the illustrious school of business. Then I found out that business was the key. That's what I wanted to do. NBA All-Star Chris Paul. That was great to bring it back to one Salem State University, a uh, black college. Something that my city had never seen before, may never see again. And just having a up-close and personal feeling with LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Melodes. It was exciting. I'm grateful for those guys coming out. He is Stephen A. Smith. Congratulations on all the things y'all have done. Congratulations. Keep up the hard work. Went to Salem State where I had an absolute ball. The only part that was bad uh, was the basketball because my first year there, I cracked my kneecap in half. If I had one thing that I could do over, it would be that I would be there 100% healthy so I could really showcase what I could do. But outside of that, there's absolutely nothing that I would have changed. It was the greatest years of my life. Simone Biles. I guess I just go in there with a positive, open mind of just doing what we do in training and going out there and doing the best that we can do and just have fun with it. I didn't really think of the outcome, but I knew that we had been training hard and we were re- we were just ready. Greatest football player to ever play, Jim Brown. Muhammad Ali was a principal person in the country at the time, and he stood up and said that he was not going to the service because it was against his religion. All, all the top black athletes together, along with Carl Stoke, the first black mayor of a major city. So 
I'm glad you brought that particular incident up. Snoop Dogg is on the mic. Pay attention. Oh, man, thank you for having me play in a real way. I mean, I'm so honored. Still, you football league has done so many wonders. We got over 200 kids that have graduated from high school. We have over 50 kids that have going to Division One. Kyrie Irving. Playing at Duke for Coach K. What was that like and how that prepared you for the league now? Playing 11 games, you know, a lot of people think that's not a you know, big package for you to become a better player, but for me it was. Playing for Coach K, he gave me the keys to, to the car and I was driving it in first eight games and you know, being a part of something special like that and having a brotherhood built at an institution such as that one is an experience that you never forget. Ice Cube has been our guest. Hey man, thanks for letting me talk a little music, movies, and sports. Hey, my favorite three topics. Hey everybody, what's going on? This is Anthony Anderson, international movie star and funny mother. <laughs> and you're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. From the Press Box to Press Row is the sports talk show that is the voice and the talk of HBCU sports with a flair for pro sports talk and entertainment. Check the show out online at www.boxtorow.com. That's From the Press Box to Press Row, real, relevant, radio. Let's continue here on the program. As a matter of fact, the ACC just kicked off or wrapped up, I should say, its media days in Charlotte on Thursday. And on the line, we've got a gentleman. Matter of fact, maybe the last time he was on the show, we were probably talking hockey, but that just shows he can talk all sports. Uh, For these purposes, we're going to talk some ACC football or ACC expansion, as it were, and some college football and athletics. Luke DeCock columnist for the News and Observer in Raleigh and for the Observer newspapers in North Carolina joins us here on the program. What's going on, Luke? Hey, John. Good to talk to you again. Absolutely. I, I read your your piece in Thursday's uh, News and Observer in terms of uh, where, uh, where Commissioner Phillips uh, st- or was saying in terms of his thoughts on the ACC, more about student athlete welfare, um, etc. I want to Kind of expound on that. What are your thoughts? And you made the point that, hey, I mean, that's that may be a little bit dangerous, but you felt like he was sincere sort of in what he was saying in, in his convictions. Yeah, no, I don't think there's any doubt that he was sincere. I, I think he does open himself up to sort of charges that he's dangerously naive at a time when the conference is under this existential threat. But I also think what he's saying to the university presidents, the ACC presidents behind closed doors, is, is slightly different than the, 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 the front he presented to the public yesterday. But by the same token, I, I think it's fair to say that there are very few people in college sports who are really thinking about the overall health of the enterprise as everybody's just kind of chasing, you know, uh, this dog-eat-dog, whoever has the most toys wins uh, approach to conferences. I, I don't think it makes any sense at all except to Fox to have UCLA and USC in the Big Ten. I just don't think there's any conception of college athletics where that fits the mission statement, other than the accumulation of resources, other than the, the, the most money wins. So I think Jim Phillips took yesterday as a chance to sort of set, uh, to, to plant a flag in the sense of we got into this for a reason, and it was not to get our conference the most money. We got into this because we believed in the value of athletics is a role to play in education. And, and that's a, an outdated sort of lo- way to look at college athletics, which is a billion-dollar business. But in the end, that should be what the guiding purpose is, not how can we squeeze the most money out of Fox and Disney uh, by throwing our poor 
soccer players on cross-country flights. I mean, uh, think about what it's going to be like for UCLA and USC uh, in the sports other than football that play multiple games a year that have to play a full Big Ten conference schedule. I don't care if they're chartering. And God forbid they fly commercial. That's abuse. But I don't care if they're chartering. I covered the Hurricanes for eight years on a daily basis. And I'll tell you right now, they have their own plane, and those guys were tired. Professional athletes who didn't have to go to class were tired coming back from the West Coast. Um, it's a lot to ask. And I think Jim Phillips' point was, we're getting away from why we got into this. Let's figure out, let's take a moment to stop and figure out if this is really what we want to be doing. The problem is, his conference is under threat from the SEC and Jake Tan. It could get taken apart for parts at some point. People wanted to hear, I think, a more pragmatic, a more practical approach to how are you going to make the ACC secure how are you going to close the revenue gap with the Big Ten and SEC? They did not want to hear a bunch of sort of idealistic, happy talk about the point of college athletics. I found it refreshing. I did not rip the guy for that. I think he is a pragmatist who understands what's at stake. But I also think it's important that, you know, the ACC in particular, a league that's always sort of put itself on a pedestal in terms of things like academics and taking care of its athletes, doesn't get in a situation where they add – Washington and Oregon, and now you've got those athletes flying across the country to play at Duke and Carolina and State and Virginia and whatever. I, I just don't, I don't think that's why we have college athletics. I don't think that's why we should be having college athletes play sports. It just, it, there was something about USC and UCLA that to me was across that Rubicon. It crossed the Rubicon from this is a quote unquote educational endeavor to this is a purely profit-making endeavor. And, look, maybe that's the way it's going, and maybe the ACC will go that way, and they'll add Hawaii and the University of Shanghai and whoever. Uh, but I think it was nice to hear at least one person take a stand that that's not the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I, when I heard about the, uh, you know, certainly that the USC and UCLA move and, you know, as one that had been in college administration, man, I was like, wow. But this is – the other thing is this, though, Luke, now – you know, the ACC, uh, and this wasn't under Commissioner Phillips, but years and years ago, in essence, raided the Big East, uh, you know, to bolster its football. So, I mean, you could make the argument that this started with the ACC. I don't know what's it been, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Um, but is this a position that that Commissioner Phillips almost, you know, really almost has to almost has to take? Because what other schools are you going to get at this particular moment yeah i mean i think that's a fair point both the the, the acc sort of is what goes around comes around I, I think the difference there was the acc saw uh, much as it does now that what it did to the big east taking first the, the three schools and then three more uh was its only way to survive and that the acc in 2000 was at risk of becoming a sort of a boutique basketball conference it needed football schools and look Boston College, Miami, and Virginia Tech, it seems crazy to say now, were football schools at that point. Yep. You know, Boston College is relevant nationally. Miami was still Miami. It wasn't the joke that it's become now. And Virginia Tech, under Frank Beamer, was maybe not a BCS team every year, but was in that conversation every August. It wasn't this sort of faded giant that it is now. I would argue that 95% of the ACC's problems right now are due to the fact that Miami turned into Duke and Duke turned into Miami uh, at, at one point. So, you know, Miami has let the ACC down gravely because it is a football brand at a time when football brands move the needle, and it's a joke. You know, it's a, it's a shadow of what it once was. 
maybe that changes this year under Mario Cristobal. Maybe it doesn't. But, you know, uh, the ACC got sold a bill of goods on Miami. Uh, yes, the, to your second point, what options does the ACC have? There is not a school out there, not West Virginia, not Navy, not Cincinnati, that will add value to the ACC, by which I mean you have to add enough money to the TV deal to feed the extra mouth or mouth. And there isn't a school out there other than Notre Dame that can do that for the ACC. It's really Notre Dame or bust. And the goal is not necessarily to expand the way the Big Ten and SEC did. It's to find ways to increase revenue without losing any schools. Now, that could be a, a partnership with the Big 12 and, and Pac-12 that's focused on football and doesn't include soccer and, and, and basketball and things like that. That's tricky to navigate because they all have different rights deals. Although the Pac-12 and Big 12, their, their television deals are coming up in the next couple of years, so maybe there's room to detach football as a property from other sports and do something with the ACC. The good news for the ACC is that, look, ESPN is in bed with the ACC. Now, clearly, they've chosen the SEC as their stalking horse. But they're, in, they're full out, full, all in on the SEC. But they're a 50-50 partner in the ACC network. And it behooves the ESPN to make sure that the ACC is reasonably healthy because then ESPN makes more money. So ESPN is served with having the ACC sort of be number three on this list. What form ESPN's help takes, I think, is a really interesting question. And there are things the ACC is, is, can do and probably has to do internally uh, to, to make itself more attractive to the schools that might leave, like Florida State or Clemson or Miami, um, things like unequal revenue distribution, where not every school gets the same amount of money based on ratings or performance or brand or market share. You know, that's not only going to keep the schools that have options, whether that's Clemson or North Carolina or whoever, it's not only going to keep those schools happy, uh, that's also going to be more attractive to Notre Dame if Notre Dame decides it does want to join a conference for football at some point. Right now, Notre Dame is sort of obligated to join the ACC, but it also has an easy way out because it only gets a 20% share of ACC revenue for all of its non-football sports. It has a much easier exit from the ACC than the other schools do if it were to join the Big Ten, especially with the amount of money the Big Ten can offer. So you need to do something to keep Notre Dame happy, even if it means money coming out of other people's pockets. And in that respect, you know, that's one way to do it. So there are things the ACC can try to do, but there isn't a – there's no silver bullet out there. There's no school – there's no expansion plan that's going to get the ACC out of this fix. The number one thing it can do to get out of this fix is be better at football, and that means having programs like Florida State and Miami be what they were 20 years ago. That the voice of Luke Decott, columnist with the News and Observer in Raleigh, as he joins us here on the program as we talk ACC football and college football as a whole. SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey says that the SEC is they're not in any rush in particular in terms of adding schools. What you mentioned, I mean, natural, you know, a natural fit of Clemson, you know, Miami, because you're talking about uh, historically and Clemson more so recently has been good at football. To your point, do you believe him? Uh, Do you think that the SEC uh, would sooner than later make a move for Florida State or Miami? Uh, and, and try to kind of move forward in that manner? I mean, I think if the SEC does decide to go to 20 teams, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm more concerned in terms of Greg Sankey's rhetoric. I'm more concerned with his rhetoric about removing automatic qualifiers from the NCAA basketball tournament 
as much as UNC, uh, UFC and UCLA jumping into the Big Ten seem to go contrary to what makes college sports great, I think when you start messing with the auto bids to the NCAA basketball tournament, you are really starting to mess with the, the goose that lays golden eggs. And a comparison that I've drawn for many years, going back to the first expansion with the ACC and NASCAR, you know, when NASCAR tried to leverage its popularity into this, you know, becoming this national sport and going to places like Chicago and St. Louis and Kansas City and Phoenix and Las Vegas, it really lost something that it hasn't yet recovered. When you tinker with what, pe- what made people fans of you in the first place, you run the risk of losing those fans. And NASCAR lost touch with its roots. I think the ACC lost touch with its roots. I think all of college athletics is running the risk of losing touch with its roots because the things that made people love their alma maters and care about their sports was playing rivals. What's, what are the games that you care about? It's Alabama-Auburn. It's State Carolina. It's Duke Carolina. The, you know, and you start taking those away. I mean, State and Wake aren't going to play. They've been playing for 111 years, whatever it is. In the new schedule, they won't play every year. Carolina and Wake had to play non-conference games to play each other under the previous schedule format. When you start doing that on a national scale, when you start telling people that they have to watch Maryland play USC or UCLA play Nebraska instead of USC playing Arizona, instead of UCLA playing Oregon, instead of Maryland playing Duke, instead of Nebraska playing Oklahoma, what do you have left? At a certain point, it just becomes this USFL of semi-pro athletes, and people will someday stop watching. Maybe not in the SEC but they may stop watching other places. I mean, honestly, I know people who don't watch as much college sports as they used to because they grew, these are people I grew up with in the old Big Ten footprint. Let's say they're Illinois fans. They don't care about Nebraska or Rutgers. They barely care about Penn State. They want to see Illinois play Northwestern and Wisconsin and Iowa and Indiana and Michigan and Michigan State and Minnesota. But they don't care about these other games. And there are ACC fans who feel the same way. How many UNC basketball fans really care about a game against Pitt? I mean, it, it just it, we're getting away from what brought people aboard. And I can't help but think at a certain point that's going to boomerang back on all of college sports. And if I were Jim Phillips and I was the ACC commissioner, I would be positioning the ACC, even if it means giving up a few million dollars, to retrench and double down on that stuff rather than adding West Virginia or somebody like that, another school that people won't care about. Follow him on Twitter at Luke DeCock. He's the columnist for the News and Observer in Raleigh and the Observer Papers in North Carolina. Luke DeCock joining us here on the program. Luke, appreciate the insight. Great insight, man. uh, I look forward to talking with you real soon. Absolutely. Anytime. Up next here on Box to Row, I'm giving you my top 10 preseason football rankings. The old renaissance is the new renaissance. Standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company. Uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way. Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whitbeard, the neighborhood original. Sponsored by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. Served in total wine all over North Carolina. Fresh market in North Carolina and Virginia. 
Weaver Street Market in Raleigh, Durham, Carborough, and Hillsboro. You can also purchase in Durham at Zwelly's, Saltbox, Sam's Bottle Shop, and Bull McCabe's, and in Greensboro at Elm Street Lounge and Cooper's Ale House. It's Donald Ware from the press box to press row. Swag had its media day on Thursday in Birmingham. Had a chance to watch it virtually. Thought some interesting comments from the commissioner, Dr. Charles McClelland, uh, came out in terms of monies that would uh, be appropriated to the teams in terms of, you know, the revenue share and so forth that I'll get into a little bit later on. Jackson State picked to win the East. While Southern, as Eric Dooley comes over from Prairie View A&M to now Southern, has been picked to win the Western Division. I want to talk about the HBCU coaches poll, FCS coaches poll, which was released, as a matter of fact, last Tuesday. And I want to talk about that. I'm going to give you my top 10 also in terms of where I where I see the top 10 teams in all of HBCU football right now. Now, with respect to the coaches poll, it is only Division I schools and the poll is, is, the poll is voted on by the Division I HBCU coaches. And this was the preseason poll. So this is the way that the poll read. Jackson State at number one, followed by South Carolina State number two. Florida A&M was number three, uh, Alabama A&M, number four, and Prairie View A&M rounded out the top five. Six through ten, Alcorn State, North Carolina A&T, North Carolina Central, Norfolk State, and Tennessee State were your top ten teams in terms of the coaches' poll to start the season. Now, you know, I I know a lot of people would have some pushback about the fact that that Jackson State was number one opposed to South Carolina State, where South Carolina State beat Jackson State last year head-to-head. And I would agree with that. However, I think if you look at things uh, in totality, you look at what Jackson State was able to accomplish on last year, what Jackson State has coming back this year, I I could understand why Jackson State would be in the number one spot. This is the thing also. South Carolina State had 10 first place votes to Jackson State's six first place votes. The other two first place votes belong one each to Florida A&M and Alabama A&M. But again, in terms of your points, Jackson State had five more points in the poll than did South Carolina State. And it's about the number of points. Thus, Jackson State number one. I mean, we can debate whether Jackson State and South Carolina State should be one and two. I think Florida A&M at number three is solid. And I will say this about Florida A&M. Last year, you look at that game. It's an, it was an early season game between Jackson State and Florida A&M. Uh, Jackson State, a lot of expectations, especially coming off the spring. You didn't know what to expect uh, last year from Florida A&M because remember Florida A&M did not play spring ball the last time Florida A&M played was 2019 at that time Florida A&M the Rattlers were in the mix so you didn't know what to expect it was a 7-6 game on neutral on a neutral site whereas Jackson State won that football game I think if you play that football game later in the season that's a game that Florida A&M wins um, 
we, when you look at major college football, and a lot of coaches have talked about not wanting to, although we're seeing it more, uh, we've seen it more recently in terms of some of the larger programs playing against each other early, especially on in neutral site games. And so this was no different. You generally don't see conference games played that early, but this was a conference game and a Eastern Division uh, SWAT conference game at that. These two teams are going to meet again in Miami. Florida A&M is going to be very good this year. You look at Isaiah Land coming back. He was the HBCU Defensive Player of the Year. He's absolutely tremendous. The linebacker, I think, with Florida A&M, you're going to be a little bit more stable. Uh, Willie Simmons, uh, at least uh, having talked to him early, hadn't really named his starter as of yet. It's going to be a quarterback battle. He's got a veteran or two that's there already, a newcomer that's coming in as well. The receivers are going to be there. It's going to be a very talented Florida A&M team, right? We already know what Jackson State brings to the table. Shador Jackson, or excuse me, Shador Sanders was the Jackson State, for Jackson State, of course, was uh, the HBCU freshman of the year, the quarterback. Um, he had a tremendous overall season uh, on last year's, got plenty of weapons. A lot of recruits came in, so you know Jackson State's uh, going to be loaded. But I'm not going to sleep on Florida A&M. I think Florida A&M is definitely uh, going to be in the mix. This was a team that got an at-large berth last year out of the SWAC. When was the last time the SWAC had an at-large berth to the FCS playoffs or Division One AA playoffs back then? Um, you're talking about a long, long time ago going back uh, to the 90s. So, I mean, I like Florida A&M. This is, this is my, my, my top 10 as we stand right now. Uh, and again, unlike the coaches poll, um, and as a matter of fact, the media ballot, which remember Bowie State last year was the box to row HBCU national champion with the media on last year. So remember that media poll is going to be released on Thursday. You'll be able to find that on our website at box to So we're including in the media poll, all teams, all of the teams are from HBCU. So this is how. I see it. And number one, like I said, I would have South Carolina State. You talk about all Jackson State has coming back last year uh, from last year. So does South Carolina State's got everybody basically coming back. Nine starters on offense, nine starters on defense. You look at the running back position, it's going to be tight. Quarterback comes back, Shaq Davis comes back at wide receiver. You look at the bookends on the defense. I really like BJ Davis at that linebacker position. So uh, to me, Jackson State coming off such a, con or excuse me, South Carolina State coming off such a convincing win over Jackson State on last year. You, to me, you've got to have South Carolina State as the defending champions at number one and having beaten Jackson State head-to-head. -head, I get it. It was last year. But again, it's not like South Carolina State has some kind of drop-off and the coaching staff comes back intact as well. I'd give it to South Carolina State at number one. Number two in my poll, uh, I definitely would have uh, Jackson State for all the reasons that I mentioned before. A lot of players come back. You know, I think that coaching staff learned a lot, especially in that celebration bowl from last year. is going to be a tough team to contend with on this year, I think. And, and who knows? I think South Carolina State's going to come out of the MEAC. I think Jackson State's going to come out of the SWAC. But we'll see. The MEAC is going to be very, very tough this year. You look at the likes 
of a Norfolk State. Dawson Odom's in his second year. He's got to replace big-time quarterback, no question about that, but they're going to be very tough. North Carolina Central's going to be better. Everybody's going to be better. Delaware State's going to be better. You look at uh, Howard, I think it's going to be better. Delaware State may surprise some people as well. I've got Jackson State at number two. I've got Florida A&M, as I mentioned, number three, for the reasons that I mentioned before. All of the players that are coming back, I think Willie Simmons, the head coach, is doing an absolutely tremendous job. At number four, I've got Bowie State at number four. Yes, Bowie State loses Damon Wilson. But this is the thing. Kyle Jackson, who played at Bowie State, was recruited by Damon Wilson, knows the program, has been some other places, he has been to Georgia State, um, and then he was, of course, the, the, he was a coordinator uh, last year for Bowie State. Not only that, he was the recruiting coordinator for Bowie State at one time. And he's, he's the one responsible for bringing in a lot of the talent at Bowie State. Also, the likes of a Joshua Pryor defensive tackle plays inside requires double teams. And this is a guy that you better be on the lookout for this year. I think it's a guy that's going to be drafted in the 2023 National Football League draft. Bowie State, number one in the media poll last year. Three straight CIAA championships, three straight Division II playoff appearances. Has done well in the Division II playoffs. I've got Bowie State at number four. Rounding out the top five, I've got Alabama A&M. I think Connell Maynard's going to reload. He had the all-world quarterback, no doubt. Got to replace him, but he... You know, he's brought in some guys and he's recruited some some quarterbacks. He had a four-star, you know, a four-star recruited quarterback, brought in some guys. You know the quarterback's position is going to be solid. That offense is going to be very, very good for Alabama AM. Number six, I like Albany State. I really like Albany State at number six. You look at what Albany State has done. A lot of the players are coming back. Won the uh, SIAC championship last year. Really good program there in Albany. I like Albany State at number um, six. At number seven, I like North Carolina A&T. I think Sam Washington and A&T is going to bounce back. We'll see what that quarterback uh, situation kind of looks like. But a lot of players at the skill positions, uh, particularly at wide receiver, uh, the defense is always going to be good. Not as great last year. And the the Big South is for the taking this year. If you're A&T, you got to take the Big South. Uh, this year. You're looking at only, uh, what, six teams? Um, and the upper echelon teams have moved on. And when you look at a Kennesaw State, you look at a Monmouth. So it's a ripe opportunity for A&T. North Carolina Central, I have it number eight. I like the Eagles. I like what Trey Oliver is doing. I like his, man, his quarterback is really good. It's gonna be, he's got a good program. He's building a program there. The Miak's going to be tough, but I like North Carolina Central at number eight. At number nine, I like uh, Tennessee State, what Eddie George was able to do last year. I thought Eddie George had a, and his team had a nice season. Gets the transfer quarterback from right in the conference uh, coming in. You still have Devin Starling as your running back. That offensive line is going to be good. I like Tennessee State, and I like Tennessee State to have a winning season uh, this year. That OBC is going to be tough, but I like Tennessee State at least with a winning season this year. And I would round out my top 10. Uh, I would round out my top 10. Uh, with Norfolk State. My time is about up. I thank you for yours. HBCU Football Daily Podcast begins on Monday. Catch it on our website, BoxToRow.com, also iHeartMedia, and wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to Luke DeCott for joining us today. 
on the program. For more information on Box to Row and the entire HBCU coaches poll, log on to our website, BoxToRow.com. And always remember to support those that support Yo, Box Toro is produced by DW Communications. so many